Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. As we hurtle towards the end of February, it's feeling like this season is still yet to get going for Manchester City. Sure, the performance at Nottingham Forest was good, same for the first half against Leipzig, but ultimately we're all probably hoping for something better than two one-all draws this week. So on today's Blue Moon podcast, we're going to look at the juxtaposition of the last seven days and try to work out where the balance between performance and results has to lie. Later on in the show, we'll hear from Jim, who runs the Twitter account City underscore Tactics. He'll be discussing Bernardo Silva's new role as a makeshift left-back come holding midfielder and we'll preview the games with Bournemouth and Bristol City catching up with Stan Hughes from the One Stream in Bristol podcast along the way. I'm David Mooney for this one I am joined by City fans Richard Burns. Hello there. And KC. All right. Not bad thanks KC not bad you well Richard? Yeah all good thanks David are you? Uh, I'm not bad I'm worried that we're getting into a feedback loop already um, because I'm, I'm not bad thanks how are you is the sort of natural answer to that um, so let's, uh, let, let's, not, let, let's not let that go on too long um, let's start then with uh, Forrest and Leipzig um, I mean KC I said in the intro that uh, we probably weren't expecting two one-all draws and we weren't hoping for two one-all draws however in terms of performances you know three quarters of the performances for, for, for this week have been pretty good so like What's your, what's your feeling for the last week? Uh, yeah, so the, they were both two very different games, despite them being you know exactly the same results. I think the, the the Forest game to me was exactly the sort of game over the past two or three seasons that when we've played it, it's the sort of game where everyone's gone. See, if we just had a striker, we'd win this game easily. Whereas in actual fact, we had the best striker in the world, and it just didn't work out. I thought the performance was actually pretty good, all things considering, but. Yeah, the equaliser was just inevitable. It just um, sometimes uh, football does like to uh, have a bit of a narrative, and uh, it just seemed that as soon as Arsenal came back in the early game earlier on in the day, that uh, we were inevitably going to drop points. Whereas I think if Villa got a result, we'd have absolutely steamrolled Forest with no issues. I think it's it was just one of them that you've got to chalk it up to. It's just unfortunate that other performances earlier on in this season mean that we can't. We can't have that many slip-ups that we can yeah, just no go, leeway oh, now, yeah. is there? Yeah, exactly. It's the not the complete damage, but the um, the disturbance, let's say, has been done earlier in the season with not giving us uh, not not giving us any breathing space um, and, and left us where we are, where we are. Yeah, I, I mean, Richard, weirdly, um, for all of this, like as you say, one of those days, you know, um, in terms of the forest performance, like. I wasn't that upset by the by the result in the end. I, I guess it's kind of like, as Guardiola says in his words, like City were there in the game. They've not been there for a while. They've been getting results every now and then, but they've not been there. And they were against Forest. Yeah, I think, I mean, the result I found personally really disappointing. Um, but I think that's more on the basis that we just, obviously, off, off the back of such a really important and really satisfying win against Arsenal at a point when, 
questions were being asked about um, about City, and obviously things haven't felt very rosy for uh, for a little while. I don't think uh, to come off the back of a result like that by dropping points and giving Arsenal um, a bit more of their advantage back um, was disappointing. And I think to me, there's a like if we were in a great run of form, I would see this quite differently. But to to come off like a really, it was a good performance and we created the chances and to come away having drawn one all against a team that, you know, I mean, Forrest um, clearly had a way that they wanted to play and they're in they're in good form themselves. Um, they've, they've been decent after the World Cup, I think. But still to come away from that game, having dominated it and not have the three points just feels like, it's like another, it, it, I think it's a problem that I don't really think we've had. Like normally when, we play that well and we're all over teams. We do get the three points. Yeah, I think and so just to, to throw something else into the mix as a, as a negative, like, you know, not a great result is, um, I just I found it a little underwhelming in the end. Yeah, Sorry, I, think, I, think, I think it's like regardless of the performance, which ordinarily would be good, I think it's because the Arsenal game felt like such a momentum builder that even though we played well against Forest, it did feel like it was just a momentum halter. Um, regardless of whether the performance was good or not, and I suppose that sort of that's how it sort of ended up with the with the way that the, led into the Leipzig game as well. That's sort of I think we win at the weekend. I think we win easily last night. I think it's just um, this season we've struggled to get into like our rhythm, have we? Where normally we get three, four, five games on the spin that inevitably turn into eight, nine, ten wins in a row. And I think we've just struggled to get that momentum this year. I mean, Richard, when you contrast the Forest game to the Leipzig game, where like the second half was was just not good at all in, in, in Germany, um, like ultimately the fact that City came away from that one in terms of the performance, you go, okay, well, 1-1's not a bad result in that sense. But it, it's like it's a really weird feeling given like the domination against Forest and the domination in the first half against Leipzig to, to come away with the same result, I guess. Yeah, and I think the like the Leipzig game you can or the Leipzig result you can offset the sort of um like face value disappointment at not converting a good first half performance into a win or like stretching that over the ninety minutes. I think you can mitigate that a little bit with the fact that there's a second leg to come at home, so it makes it feel like a a better result, um, yeah. and also feel... don't like don't take the risks in the first leg. Like you can you can lose the tie in the first leg, but you you might not win it. Exactly, yeah. Whereas in the Premier League, like every point is absolutely um, is absolutely crucial now. Um, and so I think I didn't feel overly disappointed by the Leipzig result. You know, obviously I'd have preferred a win, but a draw doesn't feel like a, a catastrophic result. Um, and in the league, I mean catastrophic would be a strong word but any drop point when Arsenal win is really damaging yeah uh, just uh, I mean just on the week Casey um, we used to talk I, I, I can't remember if, if I had this discussion with you on the podcast in you know years and years ago but we're talking like back in the old Pellegrini days like oh, City well, used to God, thanks, yeah thanks for bringing up the dead man bloody hell sorry uh, but they, they used to be a time where City would uh, lose control of a game and then just never get it back and I'm a little worried that that's sort of happening to City now and because that, that's that's kind of what happened in Leipzig and okay I, they didn't I, I lose. don't I don't get that feeling it's like that that's under Pellegrini sometimes that used to happen at kickoff. Um, <laughs> it was un- like the the get you know obviously it's an old cliche but like last night was a game of two halves um, in terms of we we were very much in control of the first half in the second half we weren't but I think you know Leipzig 
that's that's how they came out. They, they set the style, they, they set themselves up completely differently. And I think, to be honest, in a way, Leipzig have probably tried to take a bit of the the, the Spurs template about how Spurs usually try and play us um, and 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 try to do that. And that you know that is a weakness for us. Um, and Guardiola just you know he tried to control it in the first half. I thought I thought we did control it in the first half. We, you know I thought we we played really well. Yeah, I um, thought we definitely but, did. But at the same time, you know, it wasn't the most interesting game of football that first half, I would say. Um, it was very methodical and, you know, and I think sometimes when you get into that sort of mindset, I think it's then easy, when it, not easy, but it, it, it can you can end up then becoming complacent and when you get caught cold in the second half and then all of a sudden it's just like then then you've got your backs against the wall and momentum in football is very, you know, it's it's hard won but easy lost, isn't it? Yeah. Now, um, we're good. we'll talk a bit more about uh, City's setup in the last week for a bit now because uh, Guardiola went to a more orthodox-looking back four for Leipzig, well, as, as kind of orthodox as City get these days. But for the games before, the manager's been using Bernardo Silva as a nominal left-back. To discuss more about what the move does for the team and what problems it both solves and causes, I've been speaking to Jim, who runs the Twitter account City underscore Tactics. Yeah, it's one that came out a bit out of left field, didn't it? It's... Uh... But nothing should surprise us really with Guardiola. You know, we've we've seen him do it previously with Zinchenko with Delph. It's worked to pretty good effect there. Now Zinchenko's just considered a specialist inverted left back in, in effect. So um, I can't see that happening with Bernardo because he's got lots of strings to his bow, and it, it does look as though it's just a fix for where we are uh, for the time being. But I think there's you have to almost split it up into two different aspects of the game that he's, he's performing two different roles. So in possession. So, for example, against Forest, City dominated there on, on Saturday and, you know, they made a lot of chances. And I think I heard Guardiola asked about Bernardo after the match and talking about a goal coming down his side that we conceded. But he pointed out saying, like, yeah, but we dominated. What what did he contribute to that? And I think that's, you know, that's obviously really, really relevant. If you've got Bernardo in midfield, he had almost the most, I think he had the second most touches in the game. He's obviously really comfortable in possession. He allows, he almost sorts out possession a lot of the time. If you play the ball into Monado under pressure and the ball's been knocked around a bit like a hot potato, he tends to take a player on, sort it out, give it to someone else, and we, everything's calm again. Yeah, a bit more and time you, and space for everybody else, sort of thing. Yeah, so you get that aspect of, of the game when you're playing in that role. Um, obviously, when we're out of possession, it's a bit of a different story. So I think it was a bit of a surprise that he started at Arsenal for me. Because you looked at that game and thought, well, Saka's their biggest threat, the right winger. He could potentially cause a lot of problems for Bernardo, which, as it turned out, you know, they didn't really create too much down there. But, you know, Bernardo gave away a lot of fouls against him. He looked quite uncomfortable. There was a couple of times where he dropped too far back. So it, it, the line, the defensive line was like being dropped back because of Bernardo's positioning. So there are issues around what we do out of possession and how that affects us. But I think it's a balance that it's like, what can you give us in possession that the other players can't? So, for example, now we're left with a, a situation where right back our options are Walker and Lewis. Lewis can do this role, and he's a good example of someone who probably does the defensive bit really well as well. So he inverts, but there's quite a lot of instances where he played the right back role, inverting, and he got back in to defend well against players. So because he's got that to his game as well, obviously he's not as good in possession as Bernardo is. And we tried him at left back uh, versus Spurs, and it didn't work out too well. You know, it's asking a lot of an 18-year-old to 
invert from the side that he's not used to playing on. So I think Bernardo's just the he's the guy for the left back spot at the moment, um, just because he's the most suited to it in possession. Whereas there's out of possession, we could play the back. We could play back four like with Ake left back, Walker right back. But if he wants to invert someone there, they're not ideal. Walker's obviously the senior guy at right back. He's back to playing pretty well. So you probably want to keep him in the team. If he wants to play this 3-2 build-up, he needs someone to invert. So Bernardo's the option at the moment. Yeah. I, uh, I just want to play uh, this. This is uh, Guardiola speaking to Amazon after the Arsenal game. Um, basically about that, the difference in the first half and the second half and Bernardo's role. What frustrated you particularly in that first half then? Uh, my tactics. <laughs> what, why? I, because I decided uh, something new and it was an... It was horrible. <laughs> Pep, was there a concern at half-time with Bernardo Silva on a yellow card? Was there ever a thought to see Yeah, it? a little bit. Yeah. But uh, Bernardo is so intelligent and he knows exactly what... Uh, he, he, he doesn't lose his... We were having the discussion whether you thought you were going to push him further into the middle and then and then bring a left-back on or do it. It would be very hard to take him off after putting him there at left-back. No, normally we put we put Bernardo in the middle. I'm not stupid enough to, to put it like a left back, not a left back, oh. but put in the middle to have one more man, but against men to men they do, you don't have the extra extra player there. So that's why it's a little bit useless. Yeah. But Bernardo is so important for us because he's so intelligent, he's so clever to understand what is going on, what's happening. He adapts immediately, yeah. correct everything. And and it's a guy who played left back and finished with a right yeah. winger. Yeah. So few players can do that. So that kind of speaks to what you were saying there, Jim. Uh, now, the, the other side of this as well is we all assumed when Guardiola said um, that his tactics were horrible, that he was inferring the tactic was Bernardo at left-back. So that was picked up on in the uh, press conference ahead of the Nottingham Forest game. Um, and then this exchange happened. After the Arsenal game, you, you yourself described that the tactics is horrible playing Bernardo Silva at left-back. No. Oh, sorry, go on. I didn't say that in general aspect where I imagine to figure out the game didn't work okay but not because Bernardo played the left back okay I didn't say that so do you think it worked then Bernardo played yeah. the left back okay Bernardo as a fullback is more aggressive in the duels than Fabian Delves and Sinchenko it's more aggressive so that was Guardiola um, ahead of the Forest game. Uh, he, he later went on to explain that that it was the wingers that he wasn't happy with in uh, in, in the tactics. It wasn't it wasn't anything to do with Bernardo at left back. Um, I mean, Jim, what, what, it's all about control, isn't it? What, what would you make of what Guardiola said there? Yeah, so it was the pressing structure that changed. So the wingers were coming inside and pressing uh, Xhaka and Jorginho, which is quite unusual for the way City set up and were forcing the possession into the fullbacks. And he obviously didn't think that was working. Because I think the way he views it is that Bernardo is just an inverted fullback that he's playing. It's, it, it might be Bernardo Silva, and we're all used to him playing in midfield or on the wing. And it looks really strange to us, but he's just saying, well, I'm playing a 3-2 formation in, in possession, and I'm inverting my left back, and it just happens to be Bernardo Silva. There's nothing difficult in, in the tactics there. There's nothing particularly innovative or anything. So I think that's the way he views it, like, tactically. In terms of the measure of control that it gives you, yes, like I said before, it's, he is probably the most press-resistant player in the team. It's interesting, that, that Arsenal match was interesting, actually, because you had a back three of Diaz, Walker and Ake, and we really struggled to get the ball from Edison through into the midfield too, and that was an issue. Obviously, Arsenal's pressing was causing those problems because they're pressing man-to-man, but also the makeup of that back three. He was playing his most defensively assured players, so instead of playing Laporte, he was playing Ake. Um, obviously, Stones was missing, so you're missing your best two ball players who could play in that back line. And I think that essentially was why our possession stats were so low. 
like we're down at 36 percent i've seen a few things saying oh well pep was happy to play like that he's you know he's happy to see possession and you know it's, it's a sort of new way of where where city are what, how city wants to play i don't particularly buy into that guardiola is all about possession he wants yeah. us to play he wants us to play like we played against forest and create loads of chances and you know i think that was forest was a really good example we created loads of chances bernardo was really involved in possession it worked now the goal came down that side people would look at that and go well that's a problem because Bernardo's playing there there was a few things that happened within that goal someone got free because Grealish decided to press the centre back and no one really covered for that but Bernardo does jump out to the winger which creates a, another issue whether he does that rightly or wrongly you know you can argue all day about that it, it just sums up like where we are but I think if you ask Guardiola about that performance against Forest, he'd say you know, we absolutely dominated, created loads of chances. We should have scored three or four of them. If we had them, it wouldn't be an issue, that goal at the end. And Bernardo was a big part of that domination. Yeah. Scored the goal as well as, as it happens. I, I'm interested in that as well because, I mean, I'd agree with him. I, I think the Forest performance was one of the best City put in for a long time now. And um, it, I, I, I'm wondering, Jim, do you think it's a coincidence that City have been performance-wise, they've been improving and they've had that little bit more of a threat and looked a little bit more dangerous while also having a lot of control of games since they've come up with this fix of Bernardo at left-back? No, yeah, I think I don't think that is a coincidence. I think it's working pretty well in possession. He gives us that more of, more of that control in the middle. Him and Rodri playing as a two, it's really nice in possession, really good. It's just this thing about it doesn't look right. You know, Bernardo shuffling back into and dealing with like the likes of Saka it just doesn't look like like to the supporter who's, who's looking out because he isn't the left back. Yeah, we, 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 we want four four two. That's what we want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, I, and I've seen a lot of stuff saying like, let's go to Walker and Aki as our fullbacks, but you lose a lot there in possession. They just can't hold the lights of Bernardo Silva. But then again, if you if the ball goes down the wing to one of the opposition wingers, they'll probably be pretty decent at dealing with that. We've seen Aki play there this season. And he's been great defensively. We all know what Walker can do, but. Essentially, you're losing you're losing what you have in possession with Bernardo Silva. So it's it's a bit of a conundrum. It's not an ideal solution. I think that's an important factor in this. Is that we're seeing this as Pep almost saying like, "Hey, isn't this great? Isn't this a great solution that I've, I've come up with?" Whereas I don't think he'd see it like that. He'd see it like, "Well, I started the season with Cancelo and uh, Walker. I used to use Cancelo inside, outside. So essentially, Cancelo was a really good option for him because he trusted him to do." various different roles whereas as he, now the fullbacks he's left with say we go with Walker and Ake they're not as good in possession so he doesn't trust them to do the roles that he used to trust Cancelo to do that's why essentially we're looking at like pushing Bernardo Silva back to left back um, I think what's really interesting about that is like this 3-2 formation that they're playing at the moment in possession when we were playing against back fives earlier in the season he pushed Cancelo right up the wing to create like an attacking six in possession. So he'd play like a 2-2 two, two at the back. So he'd play centre-backs and he'd invert a full-back. So at Leicester, played Stones right back. But he played him inverted in next to Robbery. And you're playing 2-2-6. Two, two, now, we're not we're not seeing that anymore against back fives. We're seeing this 3-2. And I think that creates a bit of an issue against a back five because you're essentially not able to have the numerical advantage in the front line, which is something that... Guardiola tends to stick to as one of his principles, but because of the options that we have at the moment, we've not yet seen him push Bernardo right down the touchline, for example, because he's more suited to sorting out stuff in the middle. 
Yeah, uh, just finally then, Jim, as well, uh, because, I mean, Guardiola's been here since, what, 2016 now? Um, you know, is he ever going to get a season where he gets a proper left-back? Because, I mean, he's, yeah. you see what he's done with Delph, Zinchenko, Cancelo, now Bernardo. I mean, it's they're brilliant solutions, but like, what what would he be like if he just had a, a, somebody he could play like Kyle Walker, but a left-hand side version? Yeah, I think he'd love to have the option. Like, I think Cucurella was obviously on the, on the table last, last season. Didn't happen. Tried to replace him with Gomez. That's not really worked out. It doesn't seem to trust him, especially in the big matches. So I think he wants that option. Obviously, we bought Mendy for a fortune, no longer available. But that was the sort of option that we haven't got a wide left option from fullback. Cancelo did it and did it pretty well on his opposite flank. But yeah, I think it's, it's needed in it. It's time. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Jim from City Tactics. Um, Richard, let's talk about uh, the defence then. Um, Because obviously, not great for the Leipzig goal. Not great for the Forest goal. Um, City have conceded the first shot on target in four of their last five games. Um, it's happened 10 times in the Premier League over the course of the season so far. A couple of them penalties, so we kind of let them off that. But more often than not, uh, they weren't. Um, their expected goals against, though, is the best in the league. Three teams, Chelsea, I think Arsenal and Newcastle, have a better defence than them. So th- there's a little bit of a disconnect here between C- how City are actually defended and the statistics. What do, what do you make of the way things are going at the back at the moment? Well, I think... Um... I don't think things feel very settled in defence and haven't done since the World Cup, which I think is like like it's the, I guess, a, it's almost like the problem that's not a problem a lot of the time for City is that they've got so much strength in depth and so many quality defenders that like it almost hasn't mattered who's played there or, or who the centre-back pairing has been or almost like who the full-backs are. Everybody is capable of doing almost the same job to, you know, different levels of quality or, or different like key strengths, but ultimately everybody just fits in there. And I think like thinking about since the world cup, the chopping and changing at fullback from um, Rico Lewis to Kyle Walker, obviously Cancelo not really getting a look in and gone to Bernardo Silva playing this very unorthodox um, and unusual sort of left back role. And then, John Stone's injury, um, Diaz coming back after like a decent amount of time out. It's just disruption it, it, central, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And you, you can, you know, you can list more. And then I think it's underpinned by, and I, I think we'll probably touch on this anyway. I think it's underpinned by a goalkeeper, not in, uh, I think fair to say, not in the best form he's ever been in at City in terms of um, the the saves that he makes. Or yeah, do, just just, do, just do, being do, that do rock in the back. I, do you think I, like? In relative terms, I think I've seen Edison in much worse form. I don't think he's been too bad, has he? Or... I think my so my my view on it um, would be that, and and it's I guess quite a simplistic way of putting it, but 
I think there have been times at City where you can pinpoint great saves he's made or, or saves he's made that you can say have won City points um, or avoided them losing games. And less of the sort of he could do better type moments. And I think now uh, I sort of see think that has flipped on its head. And I think it's rare that he makes a save where you'd think, oh, that's a match winner. Or like, and it's more of the um, like conceding goals where I find myself wondering, could he have done better? And they're, they're very rarely howlers. Like, that's the thing. I don't think he ever stands out for um, completely sort of flapping his lines, if that's the saying. I think I might have mixed a couple of sayings. That's, that's definitely not a saying. <laughs> flapping I've never heard things. that. Fla- flapping so what, his lines is not a saying. What, what do you do to your lines? You do you something fluff, bad. You fluff, you fluff, you your, fluff lines. your lines. You fluff yeah. your lines and you flap it sharp. There we go. So he's flapping it. <laughs> Am I on the football cliches pod here? (laughs) (laughs) But do you know what I mean? I I just feel like he's um, he's more in that territory of um, not making, like I say, not making howlers, but not really standing out as making great saves. And yeah, I just, I, I don't think he's in amazing form. Although obviously he still does offer like the key attributes with his distribution which is like I, I, what there for. I, 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 maybe you're right and i'll have to watch him a bit more closely but i think i think that's pretty unfair on Henderson at the at the moment you know uh fr- from my point of view i've not seen him do do too much wrong but yeah it's a it's like i, I like it's like a three-way balancing scales between like distribution and, and calmness in possession and what he offers the the, the build-up compared to you know bailing your team out and making saves here and there and like it just i don't know i i do wonder at the moment because like he is important to the build up and the way that city play and i wonder how much of missing laporte and stones ahead of him as as has been a, a hindrance to city playing through the lines um i think, uh, I, think you, I, 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 I think it's more down to the fact that you know with our hubris in the fullback area in terms of you know i'm not just talking about just having cancelo i'm talking about having you know as you said before Moons like a minus one left back. Um, I think I think it's more that the fact that we haven't. It's not necessarily the personnel who are playing at the back. It's we've never got a settled shape at the back. We're always playing a different formation at the back every week. It seems. So even when Bernardo's at, at you know Bernardo playing at left back and he's out of position, he's not playing. He wasn't playing it in the same way coming inside that Cancelo was. Like he was being asked to do a different role. When Aki's playing at left back, he's asked to do a different role. I think it's more the shape that the back three or back four have got across the back. That's what's causing a lot of the confusion, not not just the personnel themselves. Um, th- that's certainly how it seems to me. It's more that we just we don't have a settled shape, and then that then has a knock on effect further up the pitch because people aren't always in the same position at the back every week. Yeah. Well, I, I, just one final thought then, Casey on Edison. Um, because uh, he, in terms of statistics, again, he's got the lo- he's got the third lowest save percentage uh, again from shots faced in the Premier League. Granted, he doesn't face that many shots when they when he does. They you know they they might be good shots or they might be um, kind of the opposition's only chance sort of thing because City tend to dominate the ball. Um, but at the same time, he's underperforming. Uh, this is from uh, Sam Lee's article in the Athletic. He's, he's underperforming what's known as the expected goals on target. So basically, saves. Shots that he should be saving, you know, he's he's not yeah. he, he's underperforming that element of his game. I would I would I would I would say that he he probably always has has he not like without knowing the stats. I just think at the moment he's no worse in that regard than he has been. 
or am I, or yeah. am I being maybe like 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 I say, it's probably a case that I've not been paying that much attention rather than me having a massive uh, disagreement with you guys and defending him. It's more a case <laughs> I've, I've, I, because, as Richard said, he's not had you know those huge clangers. I've probably just not noticed him as much. Yeah, I just uh, when you think back to, I mean, the one that that I always think back to, Richard, and I, I know this is unfair because City went on to win the game, but the goal that made it three uh, two, made it two nil uh, for Villa on the final day of last season. Like it, it just looks like his weight is in entirely the wrong place, and that's when I, when I see Edison letting in a soft goal, that's kind of what I imagine. My my, my immediate thought is when uh, is against Spurs when he got beat from about 25, 30 yards when in the. Laporte handball game when we got the last yeah. minute winner. He was about twenty yards out of position. I've not seen him do anything anywhere near that bad. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's. I suppose that's what I mean by the clangers. Uh, not making like huge errors. It's uh, just those kind of ones where you think, is his anticipation there? Is he getting to uh, to like every shot that he reasonably should do? Um, it's very rare that I think you can see the goal where you think that's all Edison's fault or like he's caused a huge mistake. I just don't necessarily have him down as pulling a lot of uh, great saves out of the bag. Whereas I think in his first couple of seasons, I can probably think of maybe a handful where um, where we did do that. But again, um, you know, that might be me misremembering and having a bit of sort of rose tinted glasses on that. So. Yeah, but the uh, the goalkeeping experts logged on here because uh, one of the, one of the thing I think his uh, problem is, is I think he comes out a bit too quickly at times. Um, I think if he if he didn't step if he didn't take a couple of steps forward, he gives himself more reaction time on shots, which like the way he uses his feet, I think he could uh, he could benefit from. Um, but hey, that's just me. That's what I do in uh, in five aside. Should you stick you in that. I, you really don't want to say that. No, you really I, don't no, want to say that. I, I was going to say that's what you do in five aside, but you don't come out of the area. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, uh, well, the, the place I play at, you do come out the area. It's like oh, I have to deal enough. with passbacks and shit now. It's really, really not my forte. Um, let's finish, uh, Casey. The, the very end of the game against Leipzig uh, had the handball and VAR decision. Now, initially, BT Sports said it wasn't checked, uh, but then Guardiola said in his press match, in his post-match press conference that it was checked. Um, BT later, I mean, they said cleared it up, but I'm not sure they did, uh, with an angle that showed it may have hit the T-shirt line rather than the, the actual arm or the, the shoulder. Um, and it basically, it, it, from what my reading of that, that image that uh, BT showed later on was if the referee had given a penalty, the evidence is not conclusive enough to overturn it and say it's not handball. But at the same time, because the referee hasn't given a penalty, the evidence is not strong enough to say it should be. What do you make of what's happened? Uh, it's just all a load of bollocks, and it was a penalty. <laughs> um, <laughs> just uh, yeah, that, that that's the long and the short of it. Um, but to be honest with you, I like like I, I even said that a bit flippantly because it's just I did not. It to me, it's a, a you know a stonewall penalty, but never in a million years did I expect it to be given. We just don't we just don't get given those decisions, um, especially in Europe, not to go all agenda. Um, but we, we just don't seem to get those decisions in Europe and I, I've, I've just sort of learned to live with it and it's it's one of those things that you've got to overcome on top of on top of the opposition really. Yeah, it's it's this high bar, isn't it, Richard? That effectively what it does is just seal in the bad decision. Yeah, this the the system um, isn't fit for for purpose. Or it's you know it was meant to um, give the officials an advantage and to be able to correct when everybody can see that something's blatantly wrong. And I have an element of sympathy with the idea of not wanting to re-referee a game and, and all that stuff. But it 
it just makes a mockery of having this system there in the first place. Either help the referees or don't, and we either live with the human error that we used to have, or uh, which was, you know, we sort of decided we don't want that, so here's VAR. And now we live with, well, I mean, it's still human error because it's still the technology being interpreted by people, um, and it's I'd, it just I'd, consistently I'd doesn't work. I'd rather go with human error rather than mates trying to cover their own backs because they don't want to dob mm. each other in. Like that, that's that's what VAR's just turned into. And I was somebody who wanted VAR to come in, but it's just um, it, it's it, it's just you know. It, it's just re- referees just looking after themselves, and they don't want to dob the mates in, in it. In it, that that's all it is. It, it, it's 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 got to the point now where it seems like if they gave a decision to overturn something, it feels like they're grassing on one of the mates. That's how they see it. That's how bad it is. Like somebody would have to be assaulted, you know, uh, uh, you know, with with some things. It's just uh, I'm just fed up of it. Like across the board, I think in generally speaking, when it comes to um, international tournaments, I think it works relatively well but i've never seen in league or champions league it being implemented in that sort of way as it has been in in world cups and euros and i, I just don't get it yeah just uh okay so you mentioned it before that uh again not crying agenda but city do seem to consistently get the rough end of the uh of the stick in the champions league um favorite bad decisions either of you anything anything that's gone against city that you thought that's a that's an absolute howler that you've now calmed down enough to be able to talk about it. Uh, Dean Michaelis being sent off despite bringing, um, was it Messi down against Barcelona, even though it was about five yards outside the box? And it, like, was it was absolutely, yeah, it was absolutely a red card. Absolutely yeah, wasn't yeah, a penalty. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, but it was miles outside the box. That was that was that was one that instantly springs to mind. And obviously the you know the Spurs game um, where they knocked us out with the with the uh, the, the handball Lorente one. Yeah, Richard, any any for you? Um, well, I was going to go with uh, that guy who report the UEFA officially reported City officially for booing the anthem, but I don't think that's what you what you're after in terms of discipline. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, maybe it was that was was that because they were saying booers? <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, the entirety of the uh, two legs against Liverpool, um, where there's just so many bad decisions, that it's um, it's hard to remember them all to, to um, pinpoint one yeah <laughs> yeah the, the, the one that got uh, ended up pep got sent off didn't he for bemoaning them so i'm just going to go with the entirety of those two games yeah understood um let's look ahead now to the games with bournemouth and bristol city um richard the thought occurs uh, with all of this though like we've, we've talked about stats with edison um stats are ultimately quite meaningless because at the moment city have only one defeat in their last eight games but they've only got two wins in the last five they haven't won more than three premier league games in a row all season but over the last five games they are the premier league's most informed team like That's how are you one. feeling yeah, how, how, how are you feeling about playing these games at the minute? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I still start most games with the um, the feeling that City should win because they're still, you know, as the table shows, the second best team in the country this season, and you know they're still absolutely packed full of uh, packed full of quality and do turn it on in moments. I think, like those stats are interesting in the sense that you know you, it's that sort of you can prove anything with facts type thing or you like <laughs> you can you can manipulate stats to say what you want them to and really like sometimes you do just get a gut feeling or a, a sense of there's just a sort of palpable sense that things aren't right and i i think back quite a lot at the moment to 
in the I guess sort of infamous rant that Pep had after the Tottenham game. I think one of the things that didn't really get picked up at the time, but I think that actually I, I think about it a lot now because I think it, it rings really true, is he made a comment about the players like doing things because it's the way it's done or they make the passes because they know it's what the manager wants, but it's like it's got to be about a bit more than that. And I think like maybe I'm guilty of like putting that lens over over how I watch the game at the moment, but I just feel like things are a little bit laboured and um you know, we don't play the like a lot of the time the pace or the urgency that I think you would normally associate with City. Um and yeah, it feels a bit more almost methodical for the sake of being methodical rather than um, it being like a a great tactical an plan. Yeah, do, and, and I don't know, like I said, maybe I'm guilty of, of reinterpreting things after hearing that from Pep, but it just, it, it does ring true to how things feel to me. And, um, you know, I think that stat about not winning more than three games in a row in the Premier League is, is really quite instructive because that is so far removed from the kind of form that we've seen at least once a season in, um, in any title winning season. Do you think? Do you think that's maybe why, like Grealish, is getting so much game time at the moment? Because I think he was guilty of that probably more than anyone last season. Mm. Whereas I think now, even though things aren't coming off of him as much and things like that, he's actually he's he's been decisive in making decisions on the pitch, even if they're not working. They aren't just there just for the sake of it. Whereas, like a lot of the time when he'd be playing last year, and I, you know, I thought I. I, I was one of his defenders last year. It was a case of he'd get there and then pass it back to Cancelo because he thought that that's what the manager probably wanted. Whereas this time he's actually he's willing to take on his man and beat him, and that's that's potentially why I see him getting why he's getting so many starts at the moment. But I think there's a, a, a kind of a, a part of that as well is that yeah he will do that, Casey, but he's also not afraid to hold it, hold it, hold it, knock it back exactly when, exactly when the situation yeah, yeah, yeah. demands it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's not just about it's kind not of, gung ho. It's actually yeah. it's actually taking responsibility of, of what's in front of you and making the decision based on that. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. The weird thing, Richard, I, I, I wonder, is this just then the eye test, Richard? Is this uh, because the, the number of pundits you hear, I mean, Owen Hargreaves on BT Sports said it after the Leipzig game, um, that he feels like City will go on a run now of, and they, they could easily put 10, 10 wins in a row together. And I, like, I don't know if I'm just being pessimistic and they might do that. But like the evidence of the season so far suggests that they won't, and the eye test suggests that there is something like as Guardiola said after that Spurs game in the clouds. That's wrong. It's something that you can't quite put your finger on, but it's just not adding up to a, a ten-game winning run. 
Yeah, it just it just doesn't feel like it's coming. I I also think back um, quite a lot to the last time I was on the podcast. I think it was just the, the, those two games after the World Cup. Um, that that week after the Leeds and Liverpool Cup games, and I remember um, Dom Farrell saying at the time that City have lost because of the Cup. They've they've actually lost the period where they normally put those runs together. Like that November to February without the Champions League, like there's plenty of times where they've put 15 to 20 wins together or, you know, at least unbeaten. And they've definitely, and, and that isn't excuse making, like you have to find a way around that. But um, they have lost that period where they would normally put that kind of run together. I guess the other, you know, to look for a more optimistic comparison, the 18 19 season, they sort of had to win. 14 games back to back at the end of the season to win the league after a pretty ropey spell in the middle where it looked like they were out of it. Um, and, and they managed to do that. But it, again, you know, the, the eye test tells me that that's probably not where we're headed at the moment, that kind of form. Yeah. I mean, the, looking at the Bournemouth game in that case, KC, because I mean, Bournemouth, a point above the relegation zone, one win since the World Cup. Like, it feels very much a case of which city turns up for this one. City, like, you don't. The weird thing, the problem with inconsistency is you don't know when it's over. Um. Yeah, I, we should just beat Bournemouth, though, for fuck's sake, shouldn't we? Yeah, no, that's what <laughs> yeah, I mean. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I yeah, know no, it's a, I, it's an absolute bread and butter game, but yeah, that's that's they're the ones where City have had problems this I, season. I, I, I completely agree with you. Like like that's the reason why I sort of paused and hesitated because you you do get feelings of dread coming up to football matches for absolutely no reason sometimes, don't you? But for fuck's sake, it's Bournemouth. Surely you just go, <laughs> you know, right lads, it's Bournemouth. Bang, do a job. It's just. Um, I, th- I think considering the two results that we've had, there needs to be a, re- a reaction this weekend. There needs to be um, a sort of a, 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 a stamp put on, a, we actually want to win this title. I was going to say, does this weekend tell you whether or not City are in the race? No, no because it's so topsy-turvy anyway. like My gut instinct to, to, is to go yes and agree with you, but there's... Like even in the past week and a half, the title's flipped on its head a couple of times, hasn't it? Really, like Arsenal fans after we beat them were saying that you know the City have handed them the title, uh, that Arsenal have handed City the title. You just think, yeah, it's just a bit of a mad season, I think. And ho- hopefully, you know, like Richard says, the eye test is this evening. We do go on one of them runs, but surely we have to win this weekend. Yeah, Richard, are you, have you got that dread for weekend? No, not really, because this is the, I suppose, the great um, fickleness of a football fan is that when we're on like one of our big winning runs, like Sod's Law, well, not Sod's Law, but just like something always tells me this is the weekend it comes to an end because it can't go on forever. Whereas at the moment when we're not really putting the runs together, I still think that we're going to go out and win games 5-0 <laughs> with Harlan scoring a hat-trick every week. Yeah. So. <laughs> the, bad, the bad form can't go on forever, can it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, what well, I mean, in terms of setup, then, Richard, what, what do you think City should do here? Because, I mean, obviously, the watchword of the season has been control. Guardiola is not going to ditch everything and play out like the Centurion season, you know, stick a, stick wide wingers on and, and go all out gung-ho attack sort of thing. So what can City do within his way of approaching it to get the best out of this team? Because ultimately, we're not getting the best out of this team right now. Is it as simple as... as Kind of, I mean, bizarrely, flipping Bernardo back to left back, getting somebody, get, getting him back in that role where he can get into the middle from when we've got possession. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe because 
I suppose, and I'm I'm no expert in uh, in in Bournemouth this season. I have to say, but you'd probably think that at least doing it against them rather than Arsenal, like against Arsenal, there's always the risk that he's up against Saka, who um, you know Arsenal were always going to attack us at home, all that stuff. I suppose we might be a little bit freer of that risk against Bournemouth, which isn't to discredit any threat they will carry. Um, absolutely, so, they're absolutely was, scoring was, down our right. I was going to say, Burnsy, go on, name 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 who plays on the right wing for Bournemouth. Uh, that one you you know the one I mean I have no idea who it is but it'll be some fellow with a first name for a surname (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah I think like to me key I'd be really like forgetting sort of defence for a moment I really want to see Alvarez getting more of a, a run in the team and you know I'm, I'm sure Pep's got his reasons why he's not and obviously Haaland is um is undroppable I mean his, his bad form has now leveled him out to averaging one goal a game so you'd still probably keep him in there for chance of a goal but you'd I would like to see Alvarez play alongside him more I think I've liked largely what I've seen of that uh, and I think it would I think it I think it would freshen us up and yeah, he needs to maybe needs make to freshen it up, up top. I agree with you. He needs to freshen it up up top some way. Yeah, I mean, Mares was kind of doing that a little bit against Leipzig. Casey, he was he was playing alongside Haaland for for, for spells of the first half, and it, I thought that was I, I thought that was working really well for a spell, and then we didn't see it in the second half. Yeah, because something does need to change with the way that we're getting Haaland into the game because. Um, at the moment, if he's not scoring, he's not doing anything. And I know he's got better over the past couple of months than where he was at the start of the year in terms of involving himself in the play. But I think at the same time, I do feel a bit sorry. We're not involving him in the play either, really, a lot of the time. And yeah. he does he does cut a lonely figure up there sometimes. And I think, you know, to, to a certain extent, you know, that that's that's a problem that Pep has to figure out. Yeah. Um, the other name, uh, Richard, I guess, is, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne was ill for the Leipzig game. Uh, we won't find out if he's if he's feeling better or not for, for Bournemouth until Guardiola does his press conference on Friday. Um, but if he isn't well, could Phil Foden come into the middle as kind of like that number eight? Yeah, well, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think Pep has been um, in the past very reluctant to use him in the centre um, and has spoken a lot about him feeling that he's not quite ready for that yet, despite having all the skills to get there um, and, and definitely preferred him out wide. I think Grealish is undroppable on his current form. I think he's um, the form player in the team for me. So, and, and he's occupying a very similar space to where Foden would do. So, but I also want to see Foden, um, see Foden playing more and, and getting back into form because it's, um, it, it, again, not been great for, illness, injury, whatever, but he was out of form when he was playing um, b- before he was sort of being left out of the team. I- I'd love, you want Phil Foden at his best as an absolute joy of a player to watch and so important to the team. So, I, I you know, if he's lining up in the middle come Saturday, then I'll be pretty happy to see that. Um, and it's, it, it's definitely an option because there's no doubt that he's got the, the skill to do it. And he was, for the most part, he was, um, he was good against Forrest and looked like he was regaining some of that form and had his certainly more influence than he has been doing in, in previous games. Yeah. Um, Casey, we touched on ball-playing centre-backs uh, in the Edison chat, but, I mean, also, that that's a, a big thing to City's build-up. So, I mean, if, if like, I know Laporte wasn't great for, for Forrest's goal. Um, 
But uh, like, does he come back in for you, for instance, to to just help with that build? Yeah, yeah, he, he does. He does for me. Yeah. Um, but to be honest with you, I, I think it's you know it's no secret to to anyone. Aki's been our best defender this year by an absolute country mile, and I think as long as he plays, I think we, we do look a lot better at the back. Yeah. Um, just on the uh, the midweek game then, uh, because if uh, if Bournemouth is uh, kind of a case of which city turn up, then I feel like Bristol City could be in real banana skin territory, KC. They're a team that has got very little left to play for already in the championship. The 10 points clear of the relegation zone, the nine points off the playoffs there. They're as kind of central to the table as you could possibly get without being in the middle of middle positions. Um they're going into a cup game in the fifth round of the FA Cup with absolutely nothing to lose. At the same time, City are having problems in in, in kind of high pressure moments when the when the other team kind of really do put them under the cosh a little bit. It feels like a dangerous tie. This one, you know how to build up to a butt there, you don't you, bloody hell? <laughs> um, uh, again, come on, it's Bristol City. Like just just beat them. this. This this feels more dangerous than Bournemouth does. Yeah, I know because it's a cup game, I suppose. But nah, cup, cup, like, it depends on what team he puts out. But we should just we should just beat Bristol City, surely to God. <laughs> Richard, help me out. <laughs> I mean, neither of you are wrong. <laughs> um, the I mean, I, I suppose we've had quite a tough cup game against Bristol City um, in very recent memory when you would have expected City to. Uh, to win fairly easily over two legs, and I think both legs were settled by uh, by late goals in the end. So, yeah, I mean, I am, I, I, I can't pretend I'm not confident of going winning against a team in a lower division, but that's not again to at all discredit the possibility of an upset because there is, I, I do think it has that little. Like, if they were to make a good start, obviously the crowd's going to be up and all that. I don't think it would take a whole lot for it to start to feel like a very difficult game um, early on. But reality is that City win most of their games um, and there's not been that many cup upsets in recent years. And Wigan is the standout and we've been run close in a couple. But I, I can't pretend that I'm not expecting a City win. Yeah, I was trying to think of the last lower league side that knocked City out, and it's probably Wigan. I mean, I didn't know it's for usually sure. Wigan. Probably Wigan. It's, it's usually, usually Wigan, Wigan, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so kind of see if Bristol City can add themselves to uh, the list where the uh, last few entries are pretty much all Wigan. Um, time to get a view of what to expect when City go to Ashton Gate on Tuesday. I've been speaking to Stan Hughes from the One Stream in Bristol podcast and magazine. I started by asking what's happened since these sides last met in 2018. Do you know what? I've got to say, it's a period that I think the majority of Bristol City fans won't be keen to reminisce about too much. Um, just before we played you in the Carver Cup semi-final, um, we beat Man United, which for a lot of people was the high point under Lee Johnson, um, our streaky manager that we had back then, and perhaps the the high point of the last five or so years. Since then, we've had uh, a mix of managers um, and it never really has got back to those heady heights. That team, of course, fell away from the playoffs despite everyone outside of the championship watching that game, wanting us to go up. People saying we deserve to go up with the lovely type of football we played and the honest type of football Never really got close. We slowly faded away, sold our best players, and lo and behold, we've sort of been languishing in in mid to lower mid table since. Yeah, I mean, just just going back to that game as well. Um, I mean, the the first leg at the Etihad, uh, you you gave 
Man City a real run for the money. In many ways, I, I remember coming out of that game and going, you know, we've come away with a 2-1 win. We got away with that one. Um, like, how, how do you reflect on that game now? Do you know what? I'm, 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 only, I'm only young. I'm in, my, um, I'm in my late 20s and I haven't been to, you know, as many away games as a lot of the people who've got decades on me in terms of seniority. But, you know, I, I normally do, you know, t- half or two thirds away games. So I'll be averaging 37, 38, been to all, all places, but up to Newcastle, London South, all over. That game for me, and I think a lot of City fans, even with longer memories, will, will be unforgettable for a long time. You know, because we honestly should have beaten Man City and should have beaten a team that let's let's not forget was unbeaten at that point. Everyone watching Match Today, everyone watching the highlight packages on YouTube would have seen a team of Man City who seemed indestructible, who seemed unattackable. And suddenly, here was this Bristol City side who have already knocked out four Premier League teams and now going in at halftime 1-0 up against the best Premier League team, maybe the best team in Europe at that point. And it was a weird situation. Obviously, there was the euphoria of the goal, the disbelief of the goal. But at halftime, you'd expect a packed-out away end. I think a record um, away attendance that they had at that point. You'd expect that packed concourse, those packed bars, to be singing, to be gleeful, to be cheerful. And actually, it was a weird, stunned silence. <laughs> it was unlike any other thing I've experienced, really, in a way. Day. Instead of everyone going, this is brilliant, what a great team. People just sort of looking around going, is this is this real? <laughs> is this really what's happening? This Lee Johnson, this sort of like, you know, this former, the son of a former manager, this mixed bag of a head coach who some people still aren't won over, is somehow outsmarting Guardiola. We had all these weird set pieces that had only appeared for the first time. These these odd short free kicks or moves and passes. Every player in our team, I've never seen them want to win a game so much. And were it not for, you know, a couple of bits of quality and the fact, obviously, you are horrendous cheaters and we should be awarded the Carabao <laughs> Cup uh, 17, 18 now i think we you know i think we you need to post it to to bs3 i think were it not for that <laughs> you know we could have had one an, yet another amazing iconic um away win that day yeah so i mean just moving it forward then to uh, to this current season you've said uh, that uh, kind of languishing in mid table um how's it going at the moment what's uh, what what's what 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 are the what are the good points what are the bad points what's what's happening around bristol city at the minute well, it's interesting because I think when this draw was made, it was it was obvious that every city fan, you know, man, man and Bristol, um, was going to hark back to this to this iconic. Well, it's iconic for us. I know you've had a few a few bigger ties. Iconic semi final, really. And for us as a club, we are in a very different place. You know, we aren't chasing the playoffs. This cup isn't seen as a distraction. This could be the highlight of our season. Um, despite us being in lower to mid table this season, um, whereas before we were obviously, I think we were second at that time. The momentum we're going into this game with is quite similar. You know, we are 11, I think possibly 12 unbeaten. That could be 13 against Hull. The mood over the last two months has really shifted amongst Bristol City fans because two months ago, we were, I think, fourth, fifth from bottom. People were questioning Pearson. People are questioning the chairman, questioning the project, etc. But right now we are 12 unbeaten with a team of young and cheap players, half of whom have come from our own academy. And all of these players look like they're going to be, you know, with us for the foreseeable future and have we have a chance to see them flourish and build in this in this in this formation and system that to be honest we've stumbled across so we've been playing through 5-2 all season two months ago so many injuries to our centre-backs forced us to play 4-3-3 and half the team look like completely different players we are a team that are frantic we're going to press going to counter quickly and although I think we are more fluid as a side than the one that, that did so well against you five years ago expect us to be 
confident and and trying things and going for it um, for the 90 minutes. Do you, do you like, I mean, it, it sounds like a strange thing because most teams should like possession, but some teams like possession more than others. And I'm kind of getting the impression that that you guys like that then in that sense. You'd like to get it down and knock it around a bit. Do you know, do you know what? I think that, again, I, I can't, I don't think, I don't think we've had even, I think it's probably in the last five, so, do you know what? I can't remember the last time we were a team that tried to keep possession. Lee Johnson tried <laughs> all he could and it, and failed. And we've always been a team that defends well, that's resolute, nicks the ball and goes. And for someone who goes to loads of away games like me, that was really exciting because you'd be going to places like Norwich, Burnley, Sheffield United, you know, big clubs with big wages in comparison to us. And you knew you were in there for a back against the wall game. And I think against Man City, it was a little bit like that, wasn't it? You, know, you guys had the ball and every time we got it, it would be, right, let's go. First pass forward. And I think it's like that under Pearson. And fans can appreciate that because the way we attack and the way we counter is very pleasing on the eye. And when we defend, it's a different sort of pleasing on the eye, but it's pleasing on the eye nonetheless. Get a dollop of City Nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Who are the who are the players that are, are likely if there if there's going to be a cup upset uh, in this one? Who are the players that are likely to do it for you? I mean, I'm going to talk about one, and I'm going to talk about him now so that you can save this clip and and play it at my funeral when I was proven right <laughs> about him. And that is Alex Scott. Anyone with half an eye on the championship or even English football should be aware of Alex Scott by now. I hope Kevin De Bruyne starts because it will genuinely be Scott versus Kevin De Bruyne in the middle of the pitch. You think of the big players that have gone from Championship to Prem, you think of Calvin Phillips, James Madison, name anyone else. I know they're all different players. Alex Scott is the next one. I don't mean he's just going to go to the Prem and play a couple games. I mean he's going to go to the Prem and he's going to kick on. And if he's not going to a mid-table team, then kicking on, going to a bigger team, he's going straight to a bigger team. He can do everything. There's a fear because he's one yellow away. He's one yellow away from getting suspended. If he gets suspended, if he gets booked against Hull, then he will miss You know, a game that could feasibly add several million onto his price tag. He will do it all. City fans are joke. City fans are joking that if he has man of the match, Pep Guardiola is going to buy him. He's that good. So any any Man City fan watching the game, have a look for Zach Viner in the in uh, Zach Viner for Alex Scott in the middle of the middle of midfield because he will be running our game and running it superbly for someone who's who's nineteen years old. Yeah, when you, I mean, when you look at, um, I don't know if you've seen much of Manchester City this season, but when you look at uh, at the form that that City take into this uh, this cup tie, um, do you get the sense that there could be an upset on the cards? Because there's there's been a number of games this season where you know City should win, they should play well, but put them under a bit of pressure and you know put a, make make them make them have to work hard. There's a, there's a real chance of an upset and a, and a result. So like, do you take confidence from that this season? I mean, yeah, I suppose. I mean, like I said, we're, we're twelve games unbeaten. You know, we, we, I think since since the since the World Cup, when the, when the top six for points per game, so we are an above average championship side right now, and one that's very hard to beat. In terms of making City work hard, I think we are going to do that. I think that's what this team does at the moment: is we will press and we will fight and we will try and win the ball back as soon as we can. And with a sold out, and with a sold out Ashton Gate. I think they can really get behind, really get behind the the, the team, really, because there hasn't been many sellouts. There hasn't been many games of this excitement. You know, we're not in a relegation scrap. We aren't chasing the playoffs. This is sort of going to be the big release in terms of noise and aggression from Ashton Gate, really. Um, I mean, I watched the Forest game on the weekend, and that was a game that you know you really should have won four or five nil. I think Michael Richards said six or seven didn't he, on match of a day. But lo and behold, yeah. you miss those chances. Yeah, it Carl happens. And, and mess yeah. it up, and it happens. And I think 
you know, it's, it's time. We haven't had an upset for five for five years. It's just getting over five years since we beat Man United. And I'm sure you guys gave them loads of stick when that happened on Twitter and any other social media. So maybe it's the time the, the red half of Manchester or Salford rather get a chance to uh, <laughs> give it back to you. Yeah. Um, whereabouts, are you, whereabouts are you worried about this uh, this team? Have, you, have, have uh, Bristol City got any, any particular weaknesses this season? Well, do you know what? I think anyone who has been watching City over the course of these tw- this 12 unbeaten this 12 unbeaten streak will see how important Robert Atkinson and uh, Zach Viner are in the, in the back in the back four. There are two main centre backs and they both are capable of winning headers and they're both capable of playing football. Um, Atkinson, unfortunately, might have done his ACL on the weekend. That's a big miss. We've got Thomas Callas, who's our record signing, to come in, but he's just coming back from fitness. So I think maybe working those centre back pairings out um, could be could, them working each other out could be quite important. And the other one is we've got a keeper who would be a great understudy to Edison. His kicking and confidence and level of calmness is outstanding, Max O'Leary. But I just worry if he's up against someone like Haaland or a team that can press and nick it like Man City, maybe that's a way that you guys could um, could steal a goal from one of his um, blasé kicks, let's say. Yeah, does he uh, does he save shots? Because that's the criticism of, of Edison at the minute. That is, uh, it'd be nice if he bailed City out at some point. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what? He does all right. I'm, I don't want to compare <laughs> him to 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 Casillas because um, it's a bit it's a bit harsh on O'Leary. But he's he's really good and he's a young. He's again he's one of these academy players. We've got players like Pring, like Viner, like Scott and Sam Bell, whose dad Mickey used to play 300 games for for us who've all been sort of talked about for a few years is sort of like, are they any good? Oh, they've had a few loans. They play here. They're not good. And suddenly, maybe it's because we aren't going down or because we aren't challenging for playoffs. There's a bit of leeway now. And these players have had 15, 20 games just to make a few mistakes. It's not going to cost us a league uh, a league position or whatever. And I think because of Pearson's willingness, and maybe he's been sort of um, painting into a corner with our lack of funds, because of his willingness to give these kids a try, suddenly we've got a team that, even though they're not in the top six, even though we're not winning every game, it's very hard for fans not to fall in love with them because there's so many young, youthful, exuberant locals that we're watching play. Yeah. Well, Stan, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up. Um, I've, we've got the charity back coming up a bit later on. I am notoriously bad at it. Uh, so one of the things that I like to do is when we have guests on is to give my my prediction over to them. So what's your score prediction for this game? Score prediction? I mean, listen, I'm a confident young chap, but I, I don't think we're going to beat Man City. I do think we're going to get a goal. Do you know what? I'm going to go for a valiant penalty defeat for, uh, for Bristol City. So I'm going to go 2-2. Alex Scott, if he plays, I'm telling you now, he'll get man of the match and whoever's on ITV will be using lots of superlatives. So that's that's my prediction. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. That was Stan Hughes from the One Stream in Bristol podcast and magazine. Uh, charity bet time. The total on the charity bet is still £645 for this season. So I'll help in the Man City Fans Food Bank support group who are collecting for Manchester Central Food Bank. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single. Uh, we'll come to the Bristol City game in a second. We'll start with Bournemouth, though. Um, for this one, I've gone for a 2-1 City win, which is 17-2 to and £85, if I am right. Uh, Richard, what are you having for this? I'm going City to win 3-1. 3-1 at Bournemouth is uh, 10-1 and £100. Uh, KC, I talked you out of it last time, uh, I can remember. Well, it but, wasn't, it uh, wasn't last time. It Was Was it not it, last no, time? No, it wasn't last time. But the one time you talked me out of it, I won. So uh, I'm, I'm not being talked out of it. I'll go 6-1 again. 
Yeah, 6-1. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it's, it's a two-way street now, this, isn't it? Because one, you should be talked out of it to to increase the chances of you winning. But two, if it actually happens, then you'll kick yourself for not having put exactly, it Exactly, yeah. It's like, it's like playing the same lottery numbers. Exactly. I was just going to say you, exactly the same thing. Yeah. You bank yourself into it, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, 60-1 to one if you're right, so 600 quid for the kitty. Um, Casey, I know where you're going for Bristol City then on that case. <laughs> yeah, 6-1. <six> <laughs> 6-1 again, uh, 50 to 1 and £500 pounds if you're right. Uh, we heard from Stan earlier on that he's gone for 2-2, which is 25 to 1 and £250 pounds if he's right. Richard, finish us off. What are you going for? Uh, another uh, Manchester City 3-1 win. Uh, 3-1 win is 10 to 1 and £100 pounds if you are right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on gambling responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. Uh, we will finish with some questions from uh, Twitter this week. Get in touch for next week. At Blue Moon Podcast is the best way to do it there. You can also email us as well through the website. Just go to bluemoonpodcast.com, fill out the form there, and we'll come to your questions then. Uh, we start with Jerry on Twitter, who says, uh, do you think City have a width problem this season? Wide wingers is something that a lot of fans think back to with the Centurions season, but that's not necessarily the issue. We've seen City play with width and with inverted wingers in the past, whether it's the fullbacks pushing higher up or wingers hooking the touchline, even if it's not on their natural side. But this season has one of City's biggest problems in breaking teams down, been making the pitch too narrow. KC, uh, what's, your, what's your reaction? Do you think so? No, uh, to me, and this might be me being like a bit of an arse in terms of like the, the way that I'm watching the game. I see the biggest issue is the gap between the centre forward or whoever's in the middle and the winger is way too big. So usually that gap is then uh, like traditionally, like say there's a, a big gap between Mares and like, let's say Foden was playing false nine last year. Either Foden would come close to, come close to Mares or Mares would tuck in. Or if there was a gap left in between, Walker would burst through that space this year, there's like a massive space between Haaland and whoever's on either side, and no one is filling in that space. So, for example, Gundogan traditionally is good at arriving late into the box and filling up that space. That is not happening this year, and I don't know what the reason for that is. And yeah. to me, that is the biggest issue, whether people are coming in tight, whether they're going wide. There is always a big disconnect, apart from when it does click for us. Generally, when we're not playing well, there is a big disconnect between the space, between whoever is playing wide and whoever is in the middle, whether that is Haaland or whoever is filling that position. Yeah, I mean, the other side of this, Richard, and just as Casey was speaking there, I kind of thought back to um, the uh, kind of the 18-19 title winning season, the, the uh, 98-97 with Liverpool. And that was when City started their kind of their inverted wingers process. And I just remember Sterling was, he was almost like a second striker at times. He wasn't very wide. He would often be there for the tap in at the back post by getting close to Aguero while you know the the width was on the other side of the pitch for instance like is that like it kind of speaks to what KC was saying is that the problem there could like if if Grealish is hugging the the, the left touch line should Mares then get closer to Haaland yeah um I mean I never profess to be a great tactical analyst so I think uh, like I think I agree with um with what KC's saying and I think like that probably speaks to what I was saying earlier about the feeling of things being a bit laboured as well. Like if it's fundamentally changing, I guess, like the the speed at which City can play at, if you have in those gaps between players, um, it, I guess it changes the, the rhythm of the passing. But for like the, 
I guess the width as well. So this is like a, a massively underdeveloped theory or, or point, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. Like, Crack on, we love them here. <laughs> I've been a little bit struck by the fact that Mares's improvement in form has coincided quite neatly with Haaland's very relative, but dip in form or where it's suddenly become more apparent that City is still really adjusting to Haaland's style of play. I think when, when Haaland was scoring what felt like hat-tricks every week, like Mares was really, really struggling to get into games. And he had this quite sudden upturn again after the World Cup where it suddenly felt like nobody's picking out Haaland runs or we're just struggling to... I mean, I'm aware saying this, like he's, he's never been hugely involved in games and he, he can't, you know, very economical with his touches. But I just, I don't know, I just feel like this maybe there's something there around um, how a wide players sort of dovetail or, or really link up with Haaland and maybe the spaces that they occupy. But again, I caveat that massively with not being a great tactical analyst, so maybe it's purely coincidence. Yeah. Uh, final question for this week comes from Joel Burrows on Twitter, and it kind of speaks into the same thing as well, because uh, he says Thierry Henry said recently that he thinks City are too predictable with Haaland in the team now in a way that they weren't predictable last season or the season before. Uh, do you agree? If so, how can City be less predictable? Uh, before you give your answers, though, uh, Guardiola was asked about this uh, in the build-up to the Leipzig game. Uh, this is what he said. I understand exactly what did you want to say. I think Jimmy Carroll want to say is for the fact that we play and he put the balls to Haaland. To less predictable is not depends on Haaland. It depends on the way we can make the process to arrive in different channels to the final third, not just with Erling. We have to continue to try to lead that process and after we be. Because it is one for 100% sure against Nottingham, we were not predictable. Absolutely not. But if you arrive here, here, right, the crosses from Erling, 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 or just past to Erling, will be predictable. That, that's true. To be as predictable, we need more runners from Kevin, we need more runners from Gundogan, we need more runners for the wingers, we need more runners there when we arrive there in the final third. But to arrive in the final third, we need the process. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. So KC, I mean, like that's what Guardiola thinks, and, I, and weirdly, I I kind of feel like City have not been predictable enough because I think ultimately they should be looking for Haaland more. Yeah, I, I think we definitely do need to be finding Haaland more. Um, and like I said, like I mentioned earlier on in the pod, that is that is something that Pep needs to figure out because it is a tactics issue, I suppose, at the end of the day. Um, and I think, like like uh, Richard touched on earlier, I think Alvarez playing. Um, even though it, you know he's a much inferior player than Haaland, does in theory suit us more because of the type of player that he is. But I can also see Pep's also thinking he wants to play Haaland back into form. But you can't just do that without trying to tailor... I'm not saying that he's not trying to tailor his tactics because I'm fully confident in his ability to come up with a solution to the Haaland you know, quote-unquote problem because it's not a problem. But I think he will he will come up with a solution. But that is on him at the moment to, to uh, figure out a way to get the best out of him. I mean, Richard, I guess that's it, isn't it? Um, I, I mean, in terms of predictability, maybe Forrest was the outlier. They definitely weren't predictable against Forrest. Um, they were kind of, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to finish on a downer here, but like kind of predictably not that good in most other games around this time. Yeah. And I think like, I suppose my, probably the running theme of like what I've been thinking about today, my answers is, 
that laboured feeling probably does come from predictability because if it's if we feel predictable to supporters, um, if we feel predictable to like pundits who watch the game, then we're going to be predictable to teams who've spent the week or the the days leading up to a game analysing City, and then that probably you know in turn makes it harder to break teams down when they know exactly what you're going to do within a, and this is very relative, but within a relatively limited range of what you might do. Um, and yeah, I think you sort of said it right is um, like maybe the, the answer is almost being more predictable in finding Harland because what isn't predictable is exactly what run he's going to make when or how he's going to finish. But what was proven time and time again at the start of the season was if you find him more often than not, he will finish, and something that's the, that's the predictable bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like something, just something has changed in City players not looking for Haaland runs. Maybe it's you know the start of the season, De Bruyne was putting ball after ball in for him. That you know, you think of the derby, like the the cross for that one where he stretched his inspector gadget leg out and, and turned it in when it looked like it was going out of play. Like there just seems to be a, a lot less of that kind of thing, and. I don't, I'm normally quite quick to look for like giving credit to the opposition for snuffing that kind of thing out. But I don't look at the way City have been playing recently and think that the problems getting Haaland into games are because he's largely been marked out of them. I don't think that's the case. Um, or structural, it's, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a, I guess it's just a, it feels like a perfect mix of, like a perfect storm at the moment of players being a bit slow, a bit laboured, not finding a striker who is maybe having a little bit of a dip in confidence and it doesn't feel like everything he touches is going to turn to gold. Um, and it's it's just resulting in this fairly uh, this fairly laboured um, feeling. But, you know, there's always time to turn that round and hopefully it's with a, a hat-trick at Bournemouth. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was about I was about to say say what a sour note to end the podcast on, but there we are. Um, let's hope he does turn it around against Bournemouth. But for now, that brings us to the end of this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks to my guests, KC. Cheers, mate. And Richard Burns. Thank you very much. Don't forget, there's more Blue Moon podcast stuff to listen to on our Patreon page. Uh, we've got brand new City Nostalgia shows every Monday, plus you can listen to these shows without the adverts as well. We've got a clip of this week's Patreon show coming up, so stay tuned for that. I'll be back after the game with Bristol City, so we'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. I know the 6-1 is obviously the big one that happened earlier in the season. It's for, you know, obviously iconic for a whole number of reasons. But I think this is the one that... I mean, A, there was there was more on the line at this point, like being in the crunch stage of the season with like a few weeks to go until the end. And then also the fact that you know, Fergie very much came and played for a draw. Fergie could always say, like, you know, noisy neighbours and not in my lifetime and all this stuff all he wanted. But it, he knew that season that we were, like, we were for real and we were, like, on their level. Yeah, what uh, what was the nerves like ahead of this one? 
Oh, it was horrible. Nowadays, I kind of, I, I quite, I'm quite excited for Derby days, but I think back then I was still, I was very much in the same. You know, they were, they were still the big games to look forward to every year. They were still the one that, even though, no matter how much we'd won trophies and stuff like that, and we're on our way to, to perhaps winning a Premier League title this year. Regardless of that, it was still United was the game to focus on. But obviously, then having the, the amount of jeopardy involved there from a Derby day is pretty difficult to match. Yeah, it was it was it was horrendous, and that's why you know that relief after the full time whistle. I don't think I've felt anything like that probably probably ever since, to be honest. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast, and join us again next time for another episode. Yeah.